0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc-Olivier Thumablet. And I'm Yannick Ringan. And
1: what's our topic for this week, Yannick? Streaming the Olympics. Good. But before we start, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. And uh, my first item of follow-up is for episode 169, which was the episode uh, you did about photography or wanting to... Uh, get better at photography and Mm -hmm. in that episode we mentioned it passing micro four thirds and you were sort of confused about whether micro four thirds was dead or alive and i sort of said well there's one company making stuff for micro four thirds but uh it's still kind of alive well i am here to inform you that not only is panasonic making cameras but olympus is back uh so somebody bought olympus's uh camera business and created a new company called om system which has released their first camera the om1 which is named the same thing <laughs> as the first olympus slr back in long time ago right uh, it was announced back in february uh, so yeah they are rebooting the whole idea of olympus making cameras the reviews are quite good and combine that with a brand new panasonic camera as well things are looking up for micro four thirds a dp review called it The year of Micro Four Thirds, which I think is a little bit ambitious, (laughs) uh, but... We're only in March, too, so... Yeah, um, but hey, two new Micro Four Thirds cameras from the two different companies in the same year, that's something to be excited about because it hasn't been true for quite a while. Uh, I've always been kind of a fan of Olympus cameras uh, on the side. I think uh, Olympus Micro Four Thirds was sort of my second choice after Sony when I was considering buying mirrorless uh, 10 years ago, so... I'm very excited to see them back on in the business, and I am looking forward to getting my hands on some of those cameras uh, to mess around with in photo stores someday when it's safe to be out again. <laughs> Quick question: Like you, you mentioned it's a
0: company that bought Olympus like camera division, but are they also using the Olympus name or just the model names, as you mentioned the OM? Uh,
1: the OM one has an Olympus badge on it where the Olympus branding would normally be. I don't know if that is just because it's like a throwback first camera, so people are like familiar this is the new version of Olympus stuff, or if Hmm. it's going to be there in permanence. Um, But my understanding is they do not own the name Olympus because Olympus is still a company, they just don't do photo anymore.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah. and that's why I was asking because I... My first impression from this news is I'm a bit worried that what's that what uh, the new division or the new company that bought all their IP I guess and their tech is gonna do what happened to Kodak where you would see ch- cheap knockoff they were no longer knockoff but after the fallout of Kodak you would still see Kodak cameras but it's just because people bought the IP and the name so.
1: But at the very least, it seems very much uh, in line with sort of what an evolved Olympus uh, micro Four camera would have been if Olympus had continued making it. They're reusing a lot of the same technology uh, that was in the previous stuff. So it just looks like a continuation of the business that was canned instead of a rebranding of knockoff cameras. So uh, at least for now, it seems pretty promising. But uh, again, we have a sample size of one camera to evaluate them with, so so far so good but we'll see i guess um but yeah the the official the official name of all these cameras is an om system not olympus so mm-hmm. they should be sticking with that going forward i believe
0: makes sense i'm pretty good to see those camera also in person uh again not teasing a future episode but uh looking at my schedule i'm teasing a future episode uh we will be talking about cameras soonish that's for sure so for all of our listeners that are eager to hear us talk about photography again don't worry it's coming soon quote unquote soon okay uh next up in follow-up uh i have an item regarding episode 177 my brain says yes my heart says no where i explored self-driving levels to better understand what the future will and funnily enough this episode is literally one month old uh, so i was not expecting to have an update so soon after it but uh this week uh, mercedes benz was doing a lot of uh, i guess a media tour or marketing tour in the US because they as they have announced that they are ready to accept full legal responsibility for the vehicle when its drive pilot system that we discussed a bit in the episode is engaged. And I'll have a link in the show notes from Road & Track. But according to them, because they were at the press event, uh, the automaker plans to offer this, let's call it a guarantee or legal coverage by the end of the year in the US. Uh quick reminder about Drive Pilot. Uh, it's an A.D.A.S. system from Mercedes-Benz that allows autonomous navigation during traffic jam. So uh, it cannot be activated on all highways. So first of all, it's mainly in highways that can be activated, and it cannot act- be activated above forty miles per hour or sixty kilometers per hour because it is fully deployed in Germany already so i just want to give you a couple of quotes because i think that is pretty this is pretty interesting so first by the end of the last year uh- well, that's weird, but I guess they're talking about the, G- the the German market. So by the end of the last year, we were the first to get internal certification for a level three system. We are aiming to get that for California and Nevada by the end of the year. And we're checking a lot of other states as well, says Drive Pilot Senior Development Manager, Gregor Kugelman. A quick reminder about level three. Uh, as defined by the SAE, it means that the car can control itself in... Uh, Define environment and that it does not require constant monitoring from uh, the human and here what constant monitoring means is really like a monitoring of the system and b of the environment the car is in but a big difference between level three and level four is that the human is still considered the uh, fallback scenario in level three one of my main criticism of that level was literally the blurry defense between what we've seen in all the cars, Tesla's GM SuperDrive that is considered level two, and the difference with level three, especially about the fact of this human takeover. Because if you may recall, level two was the gar- the car says I can no longer drive, sorry, poof, and leaves you in the bad state because it's literally please take over now type of scenario. Whereas in uh level three uh there is a delay like the the car is able to figure out that there's a situation is about is not able to end all and it's about to tell the human fallback please help me in five four three two Like I'm, I'm imagining a countdown but yet again uh, quoting uh, and tracks unlike all currently available driver assist system Drive Pilot is designed to give drivers a 10 second warning before the switch off. Engineers had to make sure that uh, in every situation the system will safely and fall asleep and over uh, control. So, yeah, so that, that Mercedes Benz is putting this limit at 10 seconds. They assume that whether you like. You might be doing something else that 10 seconds is enough for you to be aware that now you need to focus back to driving. Uh, I'm not sure if 10 seconds is <laughs> good enough of a delay, but at least it is a delay and it is better than just be like, Oh, I gave up. Bye bye. And then poof, you're in possibly in a, a station where you need to react literally now. And as we discussed in the last, in that episode, Humans are really bad at being thrown in the situation that they need to react now. So to kind of like rescan the environment, like process the data that the road is telling you as a human, you need at least like there's a lot of studies, but let's say at least one to two seconds. So for sure, they're giving you as worse 5x or as best 10x time to process all of that and it's funny because one of the example they were mentioning is the system is not able to handle emergency vehicles meaning that if you need to drive a way to leave a path for the emergency vehicle like ambulances uh firefighters police cars uh The car now has enough intelligence to detect to even hear those cars, those vehicles coming near to yours, and is able to say, "Oh, I hear sirens, or I see lights. I'm about to de-engage myself, and then not give up, but I'm about to de-engage in ten seconds. Please take over so that you can do the legal maneuver that is leaving a path for the emergency uh, vehicle to." go forward
1: it's weird that it recognizes that it's going to be in that situation but it can't do anything about it itself
0: yeah i know you don't drive but i'm sure you've been in a car where a driver had to do this and you you see that like because it's funny that you mentioned this because my last point about uh this new evolution of uh drive pilot is literally that it's in an environment like they're able to put their legal footing or their like legal backing of the company because it's literally in quote-unquote easy environment and that's a point you were mentioning in the episode like the and highways seems easier to deal than the urban urban environments and my understanding for why they want the human is in that moment Usually, humans do all the stupid shit to try to find a way to give a path <laughs> to the emergency vehicle. So, I think they're not confident enough at this point to say, hey, uh, if you hit the car back, then because we assume that you would drive left and we will be able to drive right to give a path. So, but again, if they're able to give you enough comfortable time to take over refocus your attention to the role and everything. I think is a good improvement. And right now I think, assuming that this ships in the US by uh, the end of the year, I'm not sure about Canada either, but let's ignore the Europe for one second but if they ship that in time, meaning by the end of 2022, they will be right to say, we are the first automaker to have that shipped and I think it's an improvement in the right direction, but again, it's not free for all. All in like this is this requires pre mapped environment the same way GM Super Cruise required pre approved roads. So it's a step forward, a step backward. But again, uh, I think. if they ship in time and that's a big if i think mercedes-benz well again they shipped in germany and it already working it's already working in germany uh it's pretty uh a good achievement made by uh, mercedes-benz on that front as being the first level three uh car manufacturer system again uh the dive pilot right now with this new system is in the s class or the eqs there. S class equivalent electric car, so you need to be a rich mofo to get this <laughs> deck more or less right now in 2022 or let's say 2023. But at least it is directly hitting, eh, eh, targeting Model S drivers too, so it's pretty interesting. So I'm eager to see what's coming uh soon, but. Uh, knowing that I was not expecting an update so fast, I kind of wonder if the competition will pick up in the next six months to a year and I maybe will have an episode to revisit some of the improvements sooner than expected uh, from my personal uh, uh, assumption that it will be maybe like next year or in 18 months that there will be enough improvement in that uh, world. So that's my small update on self-driving technology. Thanks to Mercedes-Benz okay next up we do have big section of (laughs) follow-up because a lot has happened since the recording of episode 179 the vibe the structure and the journey Yannick and I continued playing Gran Turismo 7 and there was a lot of drama that happened in the last two weeks and it's funny too because uh for a couple of personal reasons, we are recording a bit later in the week, uh, and also early in the morning. Sorry, Yannick. Uh, but there has been a lot of updates to Gran Turismo 7. Uh, one thing I would almost make a, uh, make a, not a small correction, but let's make a, a small addendum to our last episode. Uh, Yannick and I were wondering if there was achievement boards on in music rallies and there is achievement boards so you can compare with your friends uh, how much meters or miles if you're in a more uh, imperial system uh, um, how much distance did you drive in uh, music rallies to achieve a trophy or above the gold trophy so that's pretty neat uh, speaking of uh, music rallies, I've also mainly played music rallies in the last two weeks. Uh, Yannick is telling me, and you can jump in here, that I'm more or less the only one that really enjoy music rallies, according to what you see in the video games forum. So that's kind of fun, uh, but I really do enjoy it, and I spent a lot of... Uh, you could say uh, I spend a lot of time making sure I have gold trophies in all the current songs. Uh, sadly, I don't have the gold trophy in the tri Mountain one uh, with the Shelby car, but I have silver. I think I'm about like two me- 200 meters away to get gold. And I've uh, mined this... Well, uh, no, I. Why am I blinking on the name? But I tried it a lot. Uh, let <laughs> me tell you, I spent a lot of time trying to get gold and like increase every time I would beat my best record. It would go maybe... 50 meters more, and then 50 meters more. I'm like, ah! So, And then the next time I, I do something bad. So it's you no, know, I really enjoy it as a kind of a time check or time trial type of event with nice music. It's pretty fun.
1: Yeah, one of the things I forgot to mention about Music Rally when we were doing the initial episode is that when they first showed it in that original stream, I thought it looked a lot like traditional arcade racing games. Like the ones that you would play in the arcade, and not games that are mm-hmm. arcadey in nature, because that was sort of the business model. Is you had the ticking timer up at the top of the screen, and if you ran out before hitting a checkpoint, your run just ended there. Uh, and I think. There are a lot of people in the forums that I frequent that just have like a giant pile of arcade racing games that they would rather play than this. Uh, so I think if you have like, uh, access and familiarity with stuff like Outrun 2, uh, F0AX, even though that is in a completely different, uh, speed class, um, uh, and, uh, just traditional arcade racers, even Initial D to some d- degree. Right. Like a lot of those are just, better implementations of the arcade racing uh concept than music rally though i do understand that like there's nothing that quite has this vibe and i think that's mm-hmm. kind of what excites you about it and like I, yes I, I can't argue with that
0: uh and to go back to our title where we were talking about the vibe the structure and the journey i think here let's be honest there is not that much structure uh not that much journey there's a bit of structure but this to me is like 300 percent Gran turismo vibe yeah like, This makes total sense. And again, we mentioned it in the last episode and we've played Gran Turismo for years, Yannick and I. And I think out of all the time I spent in music rallies and on the five, uh, six tracks that there are, that are available. I think I ran out of time maybe once or twice. Yeah. In most cases, is I completed, I might have a silver trophy or a bronze trophy, and I want a gold trophy. So, or I get a gold trophy, but I'm trying to beat a friend's score, things like that. So, if you're stressed about the timer, I would say that if you're more or less good at Gran Turismo, even if you're not the fastest, I think you're, it's pretty easy to get bronze trophy. On those challenges.
1: Before we get into the updates and drama, uh, I do <laughs> want to mention the update that went live the day we recorded on uh well the day we recorded two weeks ago because there was a patch that day and i did not know the details of the patch going into the recording um but there was something that was broken in that patch that we did not address on the show which is right we talked about licenses and missions and how we like them but they were bugged for a week because they fucked up all of the tires in the thing so if you went on a on a rally track uh you had comfort tires which is absolutely (laughs) terrible Uh and basically it seems like there was something being stored in an array somewhere for tires and everything was off by one uh oh really you you could wind up with completely the wrong tires for your stuff and some missions were impossible to beat for a week uh so that was bugged and it also sort of limited my excitement because i was all like okay cool the best content in the game is apparently in the missions i'm gonna go play the missions and then it was like here's a dirt track with comfort tires. And I was like, fuck this shit. I'm going to go play something else. Uh, So I played Black Ops 4 instead.
0: And it's funny that you mentioned this because we had the discussion and I didn't, I think I booted the PS4 just to install the update. And then you were telling me, oh my God, they haven't fixed the tires and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was in the mood, especially when we finished the last episode, I was in the mood to kind of not go back to GT Cafe and just do the mission and the licenses. But you could and then and even didn't try it. Like when you told me that most of them are not impossible to do. I was like, what's the fun? So for the few moments where I was like, I wanna play Gran Turismo, I literally booted up the game and I was in the world map versus music rally and as I mentioned, I uh chose right, and went to Music Rally, not even booting up in the world map, which is telling, I would say.
1: It says a lot about the quality of this game.
0: <laughs> Speaking of quality of this game. Yeah. I think I have to backtrack my this is a Polish game <laughs> statement. Yeah. Do you want to give more context?
1: Yeah. So basically a week after we recorded the episode, they wanted to patch the tires thing and they ended up releasing a patch. Uh, That patch, nobody ever actually got to play it because it was bugged as well. And this meant they had to go under extended maintenance for 30 hours, which meant the game was completely unplayable except for Music Rally, and like you could play uh, with, I think, five different cars on six different tracks in an arcade mode type thing under the World Circuits menu, uh, which... By the way, you can play tracks you haven't unlocked if you just go offline uh, because the uh, track list is fixed. So if you want to play Nurburgring but you don't have it, you can just go offline. Uh,
0: Really? Oh, that's good to know.
1: Yeah, I found that out when my internet crashed a bunch of times. Uh, So (laughs) that was fun. Uh, And basically what this uh, pair of new patches did is it changed prize payouts for the game significantly to the point that, uh, first of all, there were some events in the original release of Gran Turismo 7 that had lower-than-expected prize payouts. And funnily enough, they were the only optional events I had beaten, uh, so Oops. I got screwed on those prizes. <laughs> they only gave out, like, 7,000 credits instead of, like, 35,000 like they should have had. Wow, uh, okay, that's a big difference. So those got bumped up. Meanwhile, all the other events got bumped down to around 35,000 credits in... Uh, In rewards and the justification that was given for this is hey we have people on gt planet who have figured out the optimal grinding route for this game to make as much money as possible we do not want to encourage people to grind this game so we are going to make it so that everything gives a roughly equivalent amount of credits uh, for the amount of time that the event takes which like I, i understand that justification but when you put that in context of a game that is powered by microtransactions and uh, basically incentivizes you to buy credits to get your car collection up, it has very terrible optics. And the combination of the extended maintenance, which made the game unplayable for 30 hours a week after launch, which is pretty bad, and uh, the nerfed prize payouts caused this massive outrage on the internet where uh, basically people got a lot more vocal about online-only games that don't seem like they actually should require online, which is kind of a problem that Polyphony Digital manufactured for themselves, because at a high level, I can't tell much of a difference between the update model that Gran Turismo 7 is going to have and what Gran Turismo 5 and 6 had, and those games were available offline fully. So they haven't really done anything to justify why this game is online-only. And... Uh, People were pissed because there's nothing on the disc, which means if you're angry about the prize payouts being bad, you can't downgrade to a version that has better prize payouts because you have to be on the latest version all the time because the game is online only. So there was all of that going on on the internet. And it completely morphed the, uh, the discourse around Gran Turismo 7 from basically like this weird Uh, split between mainstream audiences who absolutely love this game because it is technically proficient and it checks the box of having a single player campaign and they don't really care about the details of that campaign and the other side of that which is Gran Turismo fans being pissed because this game is not really a Gran Turismo game in structure and all of that just got thrown under the bed and it's like now the only problems with this game is that it is online only and Polyphony Digital is greedy for microtransactions. And at least to me, like I'm working on a video about this, I think these are secondary issues to the most point. If the game was still the same, but they put prize payouts like seven times higher and the game was playable offline, it would still be a bad game that I wouldn't want to play. And that's sort of my issue with it. Mm. Uh, But I think right now there's a lot of like... What is it going to take to save Gran Turismo 7? And I'm not sure anyone has a good answer for that right now.
0: One thing that uh, I think you forgot to mention, too, uh, regarding this 30 hours of downtime is a couple of days after uh, Sony released a PS4 firmware update that also made uh, oh, online play somewhat uh, problematic for a lot of players.
1: The, the The reason I didn't mention that is that this actually turned out to be Incorrect. Uh oh really. So, so huh. what ended up happening is uh a couple of days ago they released the PS4 firmware update and PlayStation Network coincidentally went down at the same time that the patch went out. Really? Which meant ah. that people upgraded and they thought, oh, PSN is just broken in this thing. I can't log into Elden Ring, I can't log into GT7. Guess I'll just buy a PS5 if I want to play online or whatever. Um so a couple hours later that got fixed And the same morning. Like I know YouTube had problems. GitHub had problems. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of cloud stuff had problems. So I assume a cloud provider somewhere should the bed. And, uh, that is what the issue seems to be. But, ah, uh,
0: makes sense now.
1: Yes. PlayStation network going down a couple days after a 30 hour <laughs> outage is not a good look anyway. And no. just reinforce the issue that this game probably shouldn't be online lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more point, uh, which is kind of important to this whole thing, is a couple months ago, when PlayStation bought Bungie, uh, the head of PlayStation made a statement that they said that by the end uh, by March of 2016 they hope to have 10 live service games in their arsenal. It's not clear to me if they consider Gran Turismo 7 to be a live service game that is part of this 10 live service game uh, portfolio that they're planning. I would not be surprised if it is, and that would explain a lot of philosophical changes in how uh, monetization is incentivized in this game. So, uh, I once again, I forgot to mention that on a previous episode, but it could be an explanation as to, like, uh, me and my friends have been speculating, like, how much of the design of this game is influenced directly by Sony saying, hey you are a live service game to us and you are expected to monetize to X degree. So you should structure your game to incentivize that. And that mm. kind of sucks. Uh, and I don't know if Polyphony Digital can like point to this reaction and be like, you still want us to do this? Uh, but it is an interesting uh, piece of information to have in mind when evaluating everything that's going on with Grand Christmas 7.
0: Right and lastly regarding all that kerfuffle of the past two weeks uh yesterday there was a big update from Polyphony Digital so that's why it's nice that it was uh, real- we were recording a bit late uh and they f- detail uh, a lot of what's coming soon and uh especially the next update or the next bunch of updates uh so first of all you can if you log in in the next uh next month if you were a player of the game before march 25th uh you would be able to get 1 million credits and you need to log in before april 25th to get it uh second thing is uh to go back to people grinding the game and trying to get uh non-paid credits aka microtransaction uh, there will be raising the limits from 20 million credits that you can have in your wallet to 100 million credits, which is, I think, good. And they have detail, and I'll leave a link in the show notes for this, but they have detail a lot of the, the content of the next, up. I say next update because they say, uh, update, which will come into effect beginning of April. And they also de- detail some of the other points. That they want to do a near term. So, I guess maybe in the next three months, uh, a good, th- not a good thing, but I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think a good thing. They are saying addition of endurance races and mission, including 24 hour races. Uh, again, bringing back some of the journey elements that Yannick and I mentioned. But again, it's not fixing, like, there's no mention of any GT Cafe update. <laughs> and that goes back to my point of saying, like, yeah, GT Cafe. Not that I don't want to believe it, but Yannick was keen to mention multiple times in the last episode that GT Cafe is that it, what it is is what it is. It's done. It's a done deal. Uh, and I am kind of worried that a lot of the kerfuffle about the online play means that if there was any glimpse of hope that attention could be added to this, to GT Cafe, that it will either take at least six months to get that attention before they fix all the other things, and B, or B, that it will never get any more attention. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention that is also important to what Yannick said, uh, they will also increase the rewards for uh, a lot of other events. Uh, they say eye rewards for clearing the circuit experience in all gold and all bronzes, increase rewards for online races, new endurance races, and uh, increase the quantity of used and legend cars offer at a given time. So, those are small tweaks, and a lot of tweaks I was hoping, but again, uh, I'm not. Ba- I was not expecting that they would redo after the game. Still, let's see in six months. But yeah, so not so great after two weeks. Uh, anything else you want to add on Gran Turismo Seven, Yannick? Uh,
1: no, I think that about covers it. Um, if you're interested in my video, it should probably be out by the time we record the next episode, uh, which is going to be in two weeks. So look at my Good. YouTube channel for that. Uh, it's it's going to be a banger.
0: We'll mention it in in the next episode's follow-up section, too. Okay, that was a long follow-up section, but let's get into the main topic.
1: All right, so our topic this week is streaming the Olympics, or more specifically, the user experience of streaming the Olympics. And I would be lying if I didn't say that uh, this is inspired by a pair of articles that John Syracuse wrote back in February on his blog Hypercritical about streaming video apps. Uh, In those posts, he laid out sort of his minimum required functionality for streaming apps, uh, like general streaming apps, and how no one service actually seems to implement everything in his minimum requirements at once. Uh, And there was a lot of discussion about how basically no one is satisfied with any streaming app ever. Everyone is angry about at least one aspect of it. (laughs) And that uh, generally it seems to be that uh, the metrics that streaming services take a look at to evaluate if things are successful decisions or not are judged to be more important than how people feel when they use those user interfaces Uh, and that is why they're all pretty much universally agreed to be bad (laughs) however streaming sports is a completely different ecosystem from regular programming like you'd find on netflix or prime video or whatever Uh, a lot of sports content is Primarily live content, you don't see very much excitement for on demand sports. Uh, and this is because many sports are treated as ephemeral content that lose a lot of value as soon as the game ends. Uh, so, like March Madness is going on, you can go watch like Auburn versus Duke or whatever, but uh, the value of that game goes down significantly once you can go read on a website who won. Uh, people don't really. I mean, like some people are going to watch the game anyway, because that's just who they are. But I think most people, if they can't catch the game live, they're just not going to bother watching it at all. Sometimes sports are only offered live because the broadcasting rights contracts that have been signed don't allow them to provide anything else but the original live feed of the sporting event as it's going on. And then you're sort of screwed out of replays. Another thing that's different about streaming sports is... Uh, you mainly seem to see two categories of streaming apps for these sports. Uh, you either see specialized apps and services that are built around a single sport. So I'm thinking, uh, MLB at Bat for Major League Baseball, uh, Dazn for most soccer leagues. Uh, D- Dazn is actually like kind of amazing because like I don't watch soccer, but. If I wanted to watch the Yokohama F. Marinos and the J League, I can watch it in Canada and by signing up to Dazen and they have English commentary, which is kind of wild when you think about it. But they do that for like basically every soccer league in the world, which is really fucking amazing. Uh, too bad I don't care about soccer. The other category of apps you see is, uh, basically like regular television networks that have gotten the rights to broadcast sports and They sort of have this really sloppy approach where their app has to broadcast a bunch of different things, and they just do it all kind of badly. Uh, Specialized apps tend to have much better UX because a lot of the times they are built around a single sport, and that means that they can cater the needs of that app uh, to the needs and wants of that community uh, instead of trying to make something that is more generally applicable and generally crappy. So what does this have to do with the Olympics? Well, the Olympics are an interesting case study because they tend to combine all of sports broadcasting edge cases into a single event. Uh, you've got team sports, you've got multiple individuals or pairs that represent nations. You've got tournaments that are made up of multiple matches or one-and-done score-based ranking events. Uh, so like figure skating, like you have everybody go on one after the other and they're just ranked and score. Whereas in curling you have tournaments where you have a bunch of teams facing off against each other in different matches at different times. And then at the end, there's like a top eight or whatever, and you get to the gold medal match at the end for the Olympics. Time shifting is super important because lots of events are happening, happening in parallel, and you may be interested in several of them. Uh, this is not something that you necessarily see represented in a lot of, uh, single sports, uh, focused stuff. Once again, going back to the March madness thing, uh, most people who are following basketball or whatever, they have their team and they're going to follow their team. Their team is not going to be playing multiple games at once. Uh, There may be an impact to their team based on what is happening in another game because of tournament bracket placings and all of that stuff. But generally, uh, those kinds of viewers are only focusing on their team and therefore they only have to really care about the one event that's going on at once. Olympics are not like that. You may be interested in multiple sports throughout the Olympics, and they could be happening at exactly the same time, which means you sort of need to have a time-shifting option to be able to catch all of those events at once. It's also an event that is aiming for worldwide viewership, but it takes place in a single time zone, so that means that about half the planet is going to be screwed out of watching it live anyway. Uh, Traditionally, when you were only working with a broadcast TV model, uh, this meant that sometimes you had to just put things in primetime hours after they had already occurred and you already saw who won on the news. It was really weird and awkward. Uh, Streaming makes this a lot better. IMO. I also think that the Olympics are super interesting for a different reason, which is that a lot of the sports and disciplines that are on display during the Olympics aren't generally widely televised and especially not on streaming. Uh, Like... Curling, okay, it's a weird example because here in Canada we have the Curling Canada YouTube channel which basically puts literally every game that is sponsored by Curling Canada up without ads that you can watch any time of day. Uh, Wow, I
0: didn't know that.
1: It's a great time to be a curling fan in Canada. You can just watch everything (laughs) instead of paying for DSN. It's fantastic. But like, let's say you're a fan of gymnastics. Uh, You're lucky if there's one or two gymnastics events per year that are broadcast on cbc uh if you're a fan of athletes from other countries you're probably going to have to watch the one world championship on cbc when it's on probably at 555 a.m there was figure skating on at 555 a.m today i did not wake up to see it so like aside from world championships which might be aired once a year or once every couple of years you're not going to have very many opportunities to catch foreign athletes in action uh in an event that is broadcast in your home country and that sucks and i think like i'm personally a big fan of the japanese women's curling team uh loco solare uh they are magnificent whenever they play uh except this year in the olympics unfortunately um oh yeah they didn't do well they they got silver medal but the the gold medal game was not good (laughs) But but yeah, like I don't have very many opportunities to watch them in action because pretty much the only events I can catch on streaming are against Canada and that basically only happens at world events which happen like once or twice a year. Um, And I am like in a good sport that has relatively good streaming access. So imagine like if you're doing something for a more obscure sport, you're basically like completely screwed out of seeing them aside from the Olympics. So I think like that gives it... level of urgency uh that is not necessarily true for like the big sports leagues so that pretty much covers like why the olympics are a big deal now i want to explain what the experience of watching the olympics is like in canada because it's it's not great uh and (laughs) i've heard that uh this year like Last year one of the weird things about the pandemic times that we're in is that there were two consecutive years with two different Olympic games uh which meant that uh Peacock launched last year in the US for the Tokyo Olympics and apparently the Tokyo Olympics experience was absolutely terrible. I heard that the uh I was going to say Vancouver, but that's not true. The Beijing Olympics this year their user experience was significantly better and I, I, I apparently one of the best Olympic viewing experiences ever. Uh, But unfortunately, I'm not in the US. I cannot see that experience. That's kind of one of the problems with talking about Olympic streaming in general is that it is a very uh, country-based thing. You might be in the UK or in Italy or, or some other country and have a completely different experience to us, and it might be wonderful, uh but unfortunately we do not share the same code base for our olympic apps and therefore that means it's not doing much for me here in canada so i'm going to go through uh the options we have for viewing the olympics in canada over streaming and uh this will familiarize our viewers with how bad we have it and uh should help people understand sort of the uh fixes i am going to suggest later So the main Olympics viewing experience is built into the regular old CBC sports app. Yes, we don't have a separate Olympics app. We have the CBC sports app, which is usually used during non-Olympics time to deliver sports headlines and articles. Most video content in the Olympic offseason consists of news clips of under 10 minutes. Uh, So you can already start to see what a potential problem might be there.
0: Yeah, and if I recall correctly, the CBC sports app or as you can add, the sports app are more or less kind of a subset of their general like news app which yes. like you have a sports tab and it's more or less this app is
1: the whole sports tab with more details pretty much when the olympics are happening you are greeted with a special splash screen on launch and this is wild it has two <laughs> buttons so the the top button takes you to the traditional cbc sports app the oh, bottom no, a- button takes you into the olympics
0: Oh, no, it's a (laughs) (laughs) take-me-to-the-Olympics.
1: All this splash screen does is it actually saves a preference that changes what the top-level navigation looks like for the length of the Olympics. So if you choose the traditional CBC Sports app, you can still access all the Olympic content in the last element of of the tab bar on the bottom. All the Olympic sports are just buried in there. So you can still find that content. It's just not directly on the tab bar. And it's just buried in basically like the side menu. Uh, So basically for the entire length of the Olympics, you have a slightly different navigation UI to the app. What this also means is that the day after the Olympic closing ceremony, everyone's app reverts to the CBC Sports app with the original uh, navigation. Everything is buried in the last navigation tab and the navigation for basically everything related to the Olympics gets significantly worse. Another thing is that Olympic content Olympic event content is only available for about a month after the closing ceremony. They will never give you an exact date of when that content is going away, so you don't know how much time you have left to watch it, which sucks because uh, browsing is awful, and we'll get yeah, there in a couple seconds. And once the Olympics are over, if you go to cbc.ca in your browser, the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics categories revert to containing all articles and videos about. All of the sports that appear in the summer and the winter Olympics, regardless of whether the article or video has anything to do with the Olympics. So this leads me to browsing videos in the CBC Sports app is absolutely awful. Again, this entire UI was made to accommodate an ephemeral feed of 15 to 20 daily videos about the day's sporting use. It was not made to house replays for... Uh, 30-something sports with multiple events each, usually around 12 to 24 events each. Uh, Nope, this was made to accommodate short-ass videos about the sporting news. Uh, So this means each Olympic sport in the app has a reverse chronological list of all Olympic videos. When I mean all Olympic videos, I mean this includes all auxiliary content that is tagged with the sport, including highlight reels, news clips, talk shows. All of the video lists have no filters of any kind, which means good luck finding the Olympic replay events. If you're lucky, uh, you can browse around and find a collection of replays, which only contain the full length events, which is what people want to watch generally. Uh, But in some cases, I could only get that collection to appear on the iPad and not on the iPhone. I just couldn't find it anywhere on the iPhone. So that was fun. And again, going with what I said about the Summer Olympics and Winter Olympics categories on CBC.ca, because the CBC Sports app is just like a repeater of the news content from CBC.ca, let's say you want to watch figure skating now uh, on the CBC Sports app. Well, first of all, you can't because they the replays got pulled offline, uh, again, with no notice because... They don't tell you when the content's going offline. But let's say you wanted to go look for the figure skating uh, events from the Olympics on the CBC Sports app right now. Well, you would have to browse through all of the videos of the ongoing World Championship of Figure Skating because those are figure skating videos, and the Winter Olympics category is just a dump of all of the sports that are in the Olympics, regardless of whether they're related to the Olympics or not. Which means every Uh, every piece of news regarding every Winter Olympic sports is dumped into this shitty list where all the Olympic videos are supposed to be. So over time, the Olympic events get pushed lower and lower and lower and lower into the list to the point where it doesn't even matter that the content has expired. You're not going to find them. Uh, So video browsing really is a lot of work in the CVC Sports app. And a good way that they could just make this a lot better is just having a replays button that permanently takes you to Olympic replays and they stop polluting it with everything. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. All of the fixes are going to be at the end of the episode. But it's awful. Another thing that's awful is not just browsing videos. It's browsing the schedule of upcoming events. Oh, yeah. Once again, it's just a chronological list of everything that is happening over the next two weeks of the Olympic Games. No filters to only show the sports that you care about. So you just have to scroll and hope you didn't miss something. The only action you can take to any of these events is uh, either watch it live if it's currently on or become notified after the event is live. You cannot star events or add them to a list to watch later. And events that have already ended disappear from the schedule, so you have to go through the replays list, which, again, you have to find, uh, to watch those events, again, if you can find them. So that's the CBC Sports Experience. It's not great. Uh, it's also kind of the main experience, uh, but hilariously the CBC signed a distribution deal with Amazon prime video, starting with the Tokyo summer games. So you can watch a lot of this through the prime video app and it's a lot better, uh, which is shocking. So under the Find tab in the prime video app, there is a button labeled Olympic winter games. Uh, once again, I have no idea when this button is going to go away, but at least for now, it seems that prime video has a longer, availability window than cbc sports which is really strange Uh, if you go on that olympic winter games button you will find a fairly complete lineup of olympic event replays available in english and french with no ad breaks it also gives you full access to the cbc's somewhat more limited coverage of the paralympics both in both languages uh, which is nice because the olympics app literally disappears like the second after the uh the closing ceremony ends so if you actually care about the paralympics you're not gonna find anything Uh, at the very least like this deal makes it really less painful to browse for full event replays because that's literally the only thing they have on prime video there are no news clips there are no talk shows it's just the full event replays Uh, you can also find them in search if you search for beijing 2022 they're going to show up each event well each sport as a separate season uh, so you can find them all it's great you also have full feature parity with any other uh, prime video show so you can add it to your watch list you can download it to watch offline and you can use stuff like watch party to watch remotely with other people Hmm. it it has far more reliable chromecast and airplay support than the cbc sports app which is super flaky and it basically doesn't work which (laughs) is not good and if I recall correctly, Prime Video is
0: also part of the like the TV app in if you were to use
1: the Oh Apple yeah, TV I app. didn't even think of that because I don't use the TV app for anything, but yeah, that is technically true. So yeah, th- this entire Prime Video thing, I mean it's great that it's there, but it's by no means an Olympic specific user flow. It's just the u- the Olympic specific flows are so bad that it's better to just use a general streaming app than it is to use the olympic specific apps which is kind of showing you what's wrong with these experiences uh one more niche option that i literally did not know about until two days ago is the olympics official youtube channel what i did not know is that every gold medal olympic event since 2010 is available on the olympics official youtube channel and for the more recent olympic games those are streamed live to youtube as they happen Now, there is a caveat to this, which is these events are the raw feed that are sent to the broadcasters, which means there is no commentary on top of it. And there is basically no presentation aside from like the lower thirds that tell you who the athlete is and what their scores are, if it's a score based game or how they place and stuff like that. But it's better than nothing. And if you are a fan of one and done events like figure skating, Those events are technically always a gold medal event, and therefore all of those sports are preserved in full. If you care about curling, on the other hand, you're going to have the one match, uh, which is the gold medal match, and you're not going to have the rest of the tournament. However, the big difference here is that unlike the CBC Sports app and the Prime Video options that we've discussed, these videos are just available all the time. There is no expiration window, so you can just go watch them whenever, and that's great. That... Honestly, I don't understand why the content for all of this stuff expires because it it sort of implies that these things just, they're only interesting for the length of the Olympics and that is not technically the case. So let's talk about ways to improve this shit. (laughs) Well said. Pain point number one is that I believe news is a separate concern from viewing I, as an Olympic viewer, I don't want to read Olympic news. I want to watch the Olympics, which are two different activities. The Olympics should not be crammed into a subsection of a subsection of a sports news app. It should get its own dedicated app. And I think uh, making news separate from viewership also limits the possibility of you getting spoiled by a news story of the outcome of the thing you're about to watch. So that is pain point number one. Pain point number two, browsing needs to be improved. The main attractions of the Olympics are the sporting events. So ideally, people should be making it easy to find and watch them. This doesn't sound very unreasonable to me. Uh, So like in my idealized streaming app for the olympic like yes okay fine you can showcase a big featured event in the top half of the screen but the bottom half of the screen should be like a sliding carousel and the first two items should be live now for instant viewing of whatever the fuck is live right now watch list for stuff that i've saved that i want to watch later and then the complete list of sports uh to the right of that and Maybe, if you want to, you can let me pin sports that I care more about to the front of that list. Like, that would already make everyone's lives significantly better, just that, than whatever we're stuck with right now. If I select a sport from the carousel, uh, ideally take me to a chronological list of events that I can watch either on demand or live, followed by upcoming scheduled events. Uh, if an event has subcategories, for example, in curling, there's men's, women's, and mixed doubles, uh, you should probably offer a drop-down or some sort of filter system to only see the things that concern what you want to watch. And if you really are super excited about your auxiliary content, that's fine, but put them in a separate tab and do not ever mix them with the replays, and the replay should always have priority. Uh, that is, like, th- this is the most important point in the whole thing, is just... At the very least, make your browsing at least as good as the Prime app. Pain point number three, let me signal events in uh, signal interest in events. As I mentioned right now, the only thing you can do in the event schedule from the CBC Sports app is to ask to be notified when the thing gets live. I would prefer it if this would get replaced with an add to watchlist functionality where I can just go to a watchlist and see everything that I had interest with. You can still notify me when it goes live. Like, that's fine. If I added it to my watch list, like, the implication is that I have interest in it, and I probably would be interested in knowing when it goes live. But if I can't watch, at least keep it in a list for me so that I can find it later instead of having to dig it out of the replays list you can't find point number four is just another sort of more specific version of that, which is let me signal more granular interest in sports and teams. And I, be, I, like I, I know what I'm going to say is wild and like no one is going to actually implement this, but it's what I would love to have in one of these apps, which is build me a smart watch list out of criteria I provide. So I could be like track all figure skating events, track all of women's curling events featuring Team Japan. This could... Uh, Take a look at how the tournament is going and add events as they progress through the tournament. Track any event where Canada wins a gold medal. Obviously, you can't put these events in live because you don't know they're going to win the gold medal yet, but retroactively apply it to on-demand replays. Like There are a bunch of interesting criteria like that that can match different viewing patterns that different uh, Olympic viewers have. And having that work done for them instead of having to piece it, to piece it together themselves uh, is a really cool idea to me. But again, it's like very Olympic power user stuff. And it assumes that people who watch the Olympics know what they want to watch ahead of time, which is not going to be true for everyone. So you at least need the browsing UI to be good. You you can't just add this to the CBC sports app and think like, oh, now everything is great. Like y- you need at least a usable UI first. To kind of riff off on this idea,
0: is there a way right now to see... Uh, my assumption is no. So there's no way right now to see all the events where Canada won a medal. Like, not focusing on gold medals, but I wouldn't be surprised that, like, uh, more casual viewers, they would like to just see, hey, I want to see what my country did uh, so far CBC would be for Canada. Like, where did they won medals? And I want to see those events.
1: To my knowledge, you can't. The other thing I would say is... um. There is sort of a fixation in all of these apps that whatever the team of the country you're in is the team you care about, which I don't think is necessarily good because you can think of people like immigrants or whatever. They've left their country and they still root for their home team, but their home team is not necessarily Team Canada. It could be uh, Team Italy or whatever. Uh, And I think it's sort of interesting to maybe have something in the app that allows you to say... Actually, this is my team or these are my teams in different sports. If you are more of the kind of person who is like, well, in soccer, I like X and figure skating. I like Y. uh, So, yeah, like not building your whole user experience around the assumption that everyone cares about Team Canada is also a a thing that I forgot to write. But yes, it's it's important. But you're, you're correct right now. I don't think there is a way to see a list of video replays specifically of the events where a country has won medals or gold medals. Hmm. Uh which yes sucks. Which again, give me a good browsing UI with all of that content uh and presented in different ways and uh it would help a lot to get people with different viewing patterns excited about the Olympics. Speaking of getting people excited in the Olympics, pain point number five. People want to share the Olympics with each other, but they can't, so you should embrace clipping and timestamps. Here are two contradicting statements. Young people don't care about the Olympics, and you can't share clips of Olympics on social media to get people excited about the Olympics without it getting taken down by the IOC. Really?
0: They will take it down?
1: Yeah, so uh, ba- basically every Olympic clip I've seen this year has gotten taken down very quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, Most people who don't have their clips taken down immediately uh, do so by taking a video of their TV screen. Uh, Mm. It just takes longer, but it eventually goes down. Uh, And this sucks, but it's a problem that the IOC kind of created for themselves. Each country has a different streaming app and website with inconsistent feature sets and URLs. Each country has a slightly different broadcast, which means that timestamps wouldn't necessarily even line up if you could link to one in a universal way. And the only way right now you can currently link anyone to a timestamp in an Olympic event is if it's streamed through the Olympics YouTube channel. And after the stream has ended, timestamp links work. If it's going on during the stream, you can't, uh, which sucks if you want to capture something live. So uh, my thought about this is... Individual broadcasters, meaning the CBC and all of that stuff, should offer chapter markers to skip around an on-demand event replay in a sensible way, probably like a couple hours after the replay is up. Uh, Oftentimes, if you're watching an event on the Olympics YouTube channel, these are in the comments for the videos because, shockingly, they have comments enabled on their videos. Uh, Wild. (laughs) Wild. Uh, The IOC should implement something very similar to Twitch clips, where if I'm watching a live stream, I can just click a button, grab the last minute of whatever was shown and share it on social media in an official blessed way without risking copyright takedowns. This is the ideal way. But again, the problem is the IOC doesn't really have an official live stream for the Olympics unless it's a gold medal game. And I mean, like, that's a step, but you can't do clips live while the Olympics are on on YouTube. And if you do unofficially and you post it to twitter it's going to get taken down so like if you want to get people excited about the olympics and especially young people who are on social media you should give them the option to share clips look at how it has worked for vtubers or look how it has worked for twitch streamers like there there is a massive audience of people who basically consume content in clips on twitter and like Even just look at like TikTok and all of that stuff, like it's not really a world that I'm interested in at all, but that's sort of where the usage patterns are going. And it's very hard to get, it's kind of like podcasting to a certain degree. It's very hard to sell people on go watch this three hour replay if you don't give them a taste first and you are literally making sharing tastes of the three hour replay illegal, (laughs) which is dumb. Uh, so yeah, they they should have some sort of official clipping option somehow. Again, I am not in the business of coming up with the logistical answer to that. You just want a feature, yeah. And of course, pain point number six is the ambiguity of content expiration. Uh, if you go to the CBC uh sports FAQ for the Olympics, they just say in their FAQ content is going to be taken down by the end of the March technically a lot of it is gone already um but they've never really given an official statement as to if all of it is gone or if only part of it is gone you sort of have to figure it out for yourself and in a world where i have a watch list i would ideally like it if i would be notified when i'm low on time to actually watch it i would also like it if there were actual concrete dates displayed places and uh like if you want like the super bonus points Uh, if you can detect that, uh, that an expired event in my watch list, this gold medal event that has a YouTube archive, maybe link me to it instead of just telling me no. That would be cool. Um, but again, like, I, I don't envision the CBC sports app doing any of this, which kind of sucks. Yeah. There's this weird thing because of how the Olympics are set up where like, yes, to a certain degree, you're, you're locked in for a certain amount of Olympic games. I think it's. 3 or 4 or something like that when you get the broadcasting rights for it like you're going to have to build this app and see it having reused use for at least like let's say 8 years and you don't necessarily have a guarantee that the work that you put into this is going to be renewed after 8 years because you might not have the broadcasting rights next time and that kind of sucks it sort of creates this pro- this problem where you sort of have to design this very generic Streaming app that is able to handle all of these different sporting scenarios and present them in a compelling way, and then only get use only get use out of it for eight years. Which I don't know. uh, To me, like that, I'm more of a user than the developer in this scenario. So I'm like, well, yeah, of course you're going to do that because you want people to watch your content. And the way you present your content right now is absolutely terrible and encourages people to just watch it on TV instead, uh, which is not great either. I, I wish I kind of wish there was either like one Olympics app for the entire world that was done correctly. And for once, I would actually have something nice to say about the IOC instead of just like how corrupt they are and how terrible they are to basically everyone who hosts the Olympics. Um, but I don't see that happening. Maybe a coalition of TV Uh, broadcasters could get together and sort of like say hey this is our common platform for the Olympics that we are going to be reusing uh, regardless of who has the uh, broadcasting rights or whatever again that doesn't seem very likely so I don't really know how likely any of this is to happen but as a viewer it's incredibly frustrating to have basically no good options aside from hope that the deal with Prime Video is still on and watch it in Prime Video much later But at least, like, this lays out, like, a roadmap of, like, what the issues are with the Olympic streaming experience here in Canada and how it could potentially be fixed and made significantly better. Uh, And maybe one day someone who develops these apps will listen to this episode and think, huh, those are some good ideas. Or maybe not. But that's it for me. Good. Good. to be honest, I don't have that much to say. This year, I
0: didn't really watch any of the Olympics. Uh, and usually, Tony's a big fan of the Olympics, so he would either watch content or follow follow on the news. And this year, he told me like, Mah. I you watched the opening ceremony, I think, a bit live, and also rewatched it via uh, the kind of typical uh TV app for like Radio Canada and CBC. So that was not even. I guess it was also available in the CBC Sports app, but it's also available uh, in the typical like internet streaming app from this broadcaster. So that's where we watch it. And following that, I think I've asked maybe once or twice during the week, the two weeks it was on, like, what, uh, what is our uh, middle status? And that's mainly it. So to me, uh, I don't have that much opinion about that. So, uh I'm sure you think we'll have a couple of show notes and we also have a lot of show notes uh, a lot of show notes, yes, part of our follow-up section, and you can find those show notes for This episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 180, so 180. You can also find our back catalog of episode at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's L I M I P O underscore podcast. You can find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Lukonush. That's L U C C O N O U C N G. And Yannick is at
1: Sakarina. That's S A K U R I N A. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.